the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. You know, I would have never known about Jesus Christ. I would have never known that he died and rose again 2,000 years ago unless at that particular time in history that that truth, that event, that reality wasn't recorded in Scripture. I would never know it. And then through the course of time, how did it get recorded in Scripture? It was prophesied ahead of time. God gave the impression in the minds of these prophets and other writers so that we would know he would be coming so we could recognize him. And then since then, the truths of God revealed, inspired, the writers, and we have it today. And then after it was recorded in Scripture, and then it was translated so we would have it before us, there were many people since then that could speak the message of God to us. So it took that spoken word. Well, where I'm going with this is simply this, that we know what we know about Christ because God chose to come into the world through the person of Christ, but also to speak to us. And he preserved his message in the Bible. Well, it's important for us to know the message that God loved us and he sent his son to die and by faith alone in him we can have our sins forgiven and a home in heaven. But there's other things we need to know about God and about life until we do get to heaven. So God has chosen to speak to you and me. Well, we are concluding for today a four-part series now on when God speaks. And I wanted to conclude this series on when God speaks, how do we receive guidance from him? Now, most any other message I've given in this series will still speak to that. But today I'm going to separate a little bit from that truth and become very, very practical. Now, I have to tell you, I hesitate by being too practical because sometimes people like to hang on to the mechanics, a list, uh, four points in a poem type of thing. And I very reluctantly don't want that to happen because you can sometimes go through all of these mechanics and still not hear God because there's that leaning towards the Lord and being properly connected to Him. Now, when you do the mechanics, it might help out a little bit. And so that's why we're teaching you that and the fact that what I'll be teaching you was done by someone in the Bible. And he did this and he had a wonderful interchange with the Lord and it might happen to you. So yes, God has spoken to His people thousands of times in the Bible and He still speaks today. One of the messages we gave was that we learned that God speaks most accurately to us through the Bible. So the epicenter of our faith is found here in God's Word. So we need to know the Bible. We can test everything else by the Bible. Then we learned that God chooses to speak to us through His Bible teachers and preachers. They don't have to be a formal pulpit, but a Bible teacher, someone who knows the Word, as long as that Bible teacher is biblically accurate using God's Word. So we learn that God speaks to us and all that we need to know about our life and what he wants us to know is confined to scripture. He'll use Bible teachers sometimes as they use scripture. And then sometimes he will speak to us through an impression in our heart. Now it won't be an audible voice, it won't be something that kind of makes us vibrate, 
but there'll be a prompting, a conviction, a reminder, an impression. I don't have the exact word, but I think you know where we're going with that. But again, you'll only know that that impression, that prompting, that conviction is really coming from the Lord when you run that prompting, conviction, impression through the grid of Scripture. And then finally, God does choose to speak to us through another venue, and that could be through pain. Sometimes I wish we had enough time for me to parade those of you up here with a microphone to share how that, when you suffered pain, and you can define how that pain came to you, how that through that suffering, through that conflict, through that challenge, through that hurt, through that pain, that it actually drove you to God's word. And of course, that's biblical too, because the scripture says, it is good for me that I've been afflicted, hence pain, that I might learn thy statutes. So God can speak to you through pain, but all of those four ways that he chooses to speak to you still comes from God's word, and it comes back to God's word. I am not amazed by how many times people truly want to know, what does God want for my life? And you can see that. A few years ago, there was that uh, special network on television that you could call in to get some kind of a person to give you a reading, if you remember what I'm saying. How many remember that many years ago it was on television? Yes. You go down Waikiki and there's a lady, a blonde-haired lady that sits, or actually literally sits, on the sidewalk there in Kalakaua. And she's got a line of people and she's flashing cards in front of them and telling them what uh, their future would hold. Now we can talk all about where does that all come from and we know that it's not of God, but here's where I'm going with that illustration. There are people today that really want to know what's going on in my life. What should I do? What is my future like? And that's not bad. But the evil part of that is when it now drives us to sources that are other than God's word. And then we get some convoluted messages because it's not really coming from the Lord. I wouldn't be a bit surprised that if you could be publicly honest, and I wouldn't have you do that, but how many of you are facing a decision today that you have to make? Now, I'm not talking again about what restaurant you're going to go to after the service, <laughs> but perhaps something like, should I change a job? Should I sell my house now and buy another one? Should I rent? What car should I have? What school should my kids go to? What curriculum should I pick out if I'm a homeschooler? What should I deal with on my job with my employer? Should I confront him or not? Should I lay this person off or not? How should we spend our money? Where should we invest? What doctor should I go to? Should I even go to the doctor? And those are some of the bigger ones because once we make a decision, however we arrived at it, the decision then will have results that could last for a long time. Most of you heard the story about years ago, there was a nice little sports car that was in front of my office window and I liked it so much and I went to the co-ed and I purchased that car. I completely bypassed any prayer, any time of seeking God. My mind said, it's okay, I have the money, there's the car. I'm certainly not going to race this thing and I hope I'm not going to use it just for a flashy little car, but I'd like to have that car. I bypassed God's way to seek his wisdom. The end of that was simply this. I wasted money on a car that was, should have been painted yellow and it was painted orange. I wasted my time on that car because of how many times I had to get it repaired. So I look back over my life and it did cost me that part of my life that is now missing. The good news is the tremendous lesson that I have now that when I seek to purchase even a car today, I almost wrestle with it until the car is sold before I can make a decision. You follow me what I mean? And so, yes, look at me. I've lived past that stupid decision I made about buying that car years ago. I'm here. We're surviving. We're doing okay. Our relationship's intact. I'm in the ministry and all of that. But, you know, that's just a car. But some of you are facing decisions that could last a lifetime. Like, whom should I marry? 
Or should I get out of this marriage? The real question is, is what does God want for your life? We've covered a lot of material, and those of you who are unable to be with us, I want you to know that we want to partner with you, and we'll provide you with all that that you missed. But there's enough today that I think you can park on that might really help you. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to take you to just a small little portion of the Old Testament. In fact, it's so small in the Old Testament, I'm only going to park on two primary verses. I want you to know about a little-known prophet back then by the name of Habakkuk. Even when you pronounce it, it sounds like you're clearing your throat. Say it with me. Habakkuk. Okay? And I'm sure if you had the, 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 um, the Hebrew, it would even sound more. <laughs> but the point of the matter, this man really lived. If you put him up against the other prophets, the other prophets basically just spoke for God. They were prophets. The unique thing about Habakkuk, as small as that little red book might be, is that he had an interchange with God that was heartfelt. He had to know what was going on. At the time in history... Israel was caving in. They had a good king, and then that king passed, and his son took over, and his son wasn't right. It was like a change in presidents. And so the country was caving in. The enemies internationally were now coming against them. And so there was a great disruption. And at that time, Habakkuk cared so much for the people and didn't know how he could either speak or help the people and how he was going to survive all of this turmoil. And so for him, it wasn't where he was going to go for lunch. And it probably wasn't going to be, should he buy a chariot or a horse or walk? It was all about, how are we going to survive this that's happening? Well, perhaps, and I'm not a prognosticator here, our country could be going through some deep weeds, and I'm not here ever to wax political. But I think all of you know that how our country goes, it does trickle down. Think of the parents on this island now that have to do something with their children on furlough Fridays. And so that in itself will impact you and me. But let's look at it this way. What did Habakkuk do when he had this interchange with God? What were the mechanics behind his? And maybe you and I could pick out something that we might need to say, I'm doing that, and celebrate it. And some of you might say, you know what, I did that, and I kind of got away from it. I need to get back to that. And some of you might say, I never heard that before. I'm going to try that. And so I think there's something in today's message that each one of you can embrace and take home. I know it was for me when I was preparing this. And so let's go back over this again. Chapter 1, don't have to turn there. Habakkuk 1, basically there are six questions where Habakkuk is crying unto God for an answer. And then chapter 2, there are five steps in how he was receiving his message from God and what he could do then with that message that he had. And I hope that this message is a blessing. I'm going to divide it into two parts. The first part is going to be, how do we really request direction from the Lord? What are some things we do when we want to request direction from God? I'm going to submit three to you from Scripture from this passage and a couple others, but I want you to know there are a lot of things we can do to request from God, and it's not limited to three. In fact, even if you just did one, and you did it with a heart turned toward Him that was pure, God will meet you and respond to your request. So let's see how we can request guidance from the Lord. Here's the first one, and that is you must believe that God cares about every detail of your life. Now, I talked a few moments ago about the big things that are happening in life that will have long-term or lifetime ramifications if we make the wrong choice because we didn't hear from God. But I don't want you to think that God is only involved in those big things in life. He's involved in what we might call the small things in life. And for you and me, we have to be very careful about that because what might be small to me in my level of faith might be big with you in your level of faith. What might be small to you is big with me. So we can't compare each other's journey on their level of faith, but we can rest on this. God cares about every detail of our life. 
And here's a passage just to show you that. Look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 and 32. It says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Circle the word eat. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. What you shall drink? Circle the word drink. And what you shall wear. Now, those are little details unless you're almost homeless or you're without food or clothing or something to drink. But most of us right here are not there. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father, though, knows that you need these things and all of them. And I'd like to say this. God knows your needs ahead of time. And so I don't know what you're going through right now, but it's not a shock to God. Now, I can't speak for God on this part, but it's something for you to think about. Could it be that the Lord allowed a need right now to come into your life to either teach you that you have that need because you didn't go to him to start with, or he's put a need into your life right now so that whatever it is, you've got to lean on God and get closer to him to get that need met. But he cares about whatever it is. I don't care how young you are, boys and girls. I don't care how young or old you are, senior saints. God cares about every area of your life. So you're never bothering God when you go to him with your request. Here's the second and that would be you must ask God a specific question. Now, you could ask him general ones if you want general answers, but there's nothing wrong. God loves to hear you speak to him. He loves to know that you're going to him. So make your request specific. Now, when I was putting this down, I remembered earlier in my ministry career that I was reluctant to go to the Lord about specific requests. Maybe you are now where I was then, and I'm still learning to get past that. My first reason for not being specific is because I was afraid if I was too specific, God might not answer it, and there would go my faith down the tubes because he didn't really answer it, and so I was real nervous, and I didn't want my God to fail me, so I thought I'd give him a bigger plate to fill without being so specific. The other reason I wasn't so specific about this was because of the fact that I wasn't so much afraid of the Lord, but no one ever told me that you can be specific with the Lord. Look at a particular verse here that tells you just how you can ask the Lord. It's found in James. And uh, after our Resurrection Sunday time here, I'm going to begin teaching through the book of James. But let's give you a little bit here from James 1.5, first part. It says, if you need wisdom, which most of the time when we make decisions, we need it. If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he'll gladly tell you. And I love that. Now, you may not hear it. I know you may not. You will not hear an audible voice, but you will have that impression from God's word. So ask him. My wife reminded me of a time when she was in Bible college that her Bible teacher said in a class, in a humorous way, but there's some truth in it. He said this, you can be so specific with the Lord and have faith and let God take care of that. That don't ask God for a purple Cadillac if you don't like the color purple. Because God can be that specific in meeting your needs. Again, there are people in this room, not just listening on the radio and downloading all this stuff. They're here today that can tell you they asked God for something specific, a dollar amount even. And God chose to answer according to that to show you that God cares about every detail, even the smallest in your life. Here's the third, and that would be that you must expect God to answer. Now, I hear a lot about, you know, wait and maybe and yes and no and all that kind of stuff. I'm more of the persuasion that God prefers to answer your request, yes, rather than no or maybe or wait. Now, I want to qualify that, that when you ask according to his will, according to his formula for asking, that will sift out a lot of your requests that he will not answer because they're not right. And now you're sifting it down to the kind of request that he will answer in the affirmative. Now, I'm not going to put him only in that box, but I want you to know that he chooses to say yes more often than he would say no, if our heart is really right. Look at in the next verse in James, it says this, but when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is unsettled 
as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed like the wind. So I want you to know that you have to expect to take your pen, if you will, and just circle those words, really expect him to answer that. So when you come to him, I want you to believe that he really does hear you and he really does want to answer your request. Now what is not in your notes, because I didn't want you to be just following my outline, I want you to take what I'm about to say right now very seriously and I want you to take this home in your quiet time and think very dearly. Even though I can give you a whole lot more in this list about what you have to do, pray in his name, etc., etc., if you regard iniquity in your heart, no matter what formula you use, God is not required to answer you. Did you hear what I said? Because it is our sin that separates from the Lord. So if you have a particular sin, and I'm not speaking to anyone here, you might think that I got a memo or an email from your family. I didn't. I don't know. I don't know. And I know that there are days when we will step out of bounds on something in our thought, talk, and walk. But I can tell you, though, that it's the regarded iniquity, Psalm 66 says. If I regard iniquity, I hold on to that iniquity, I keep that iniquity, I know that it's there. It's my pet iniquity that I like to play with and bring out in my private time. The Bible goes on to say in the same verse, he will not hear you. It doesn't say he can't hear you. It says he chooses not to. And all you have to do is bring that back into our world. What parent here today would grant the request of your kids if your kids are rebelliously disobeying you in an attitude that they have? Would you just quickly respond? Oh, sure, go ahead. And so I want you to know that God does that to us. So if you're dealing with iniquity right now, remember, you still got to deal with that biblically. And then now you begin to open up the heart and the ears of God to speak to you. Well, that's to get you ready. But now, when God wants to communicate to you, what would be five, perhaps, steps in doing that? And this is coming from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And I'm just going to kind of pick out little sections there for you. So how do you receive guidance from God? You might work through this from your heart, not just the mechanics of it, through all the issues that you are now facing or what might be flung at you this week that you didn't even know were coming down toward you. First of all, we need to withdraw and get alone to a quiet place. Now, I know God can hear us in the midst of traffic, especially when someone's cutting you off and your car is spinning around. I know God can hear you when you're crying, oh God, I know he can. That's another time, but I also would like you to know that that's not the only time. That there are times that I believe that the purpose of prayer and going to God for guidance and receiving from him guidance, it's more about building a relationship with him than just asking and receiving. Did you catch that? And so that is mostly done when you withdraw from him. It's a very, very important phrase. Look at it here. He says, I will climb up into my watchtower. Now, as you see that, some of you visually will think of, okay, that's a watchtower. I think of the old West days when they had the fort, you know, and they get up on top of the fort here and they can kind of look down through this tower and they're kind of hid there and they can see up high down to the enemies. And of course, their arrows and whatever would be shooting down. It's a better deal. So you think of watchtowers. That's not wrong. You could think that. You can also think in the Bible days, they had watchtowers all over the place. You read about that, some of you that are into archaeology and hearing what's happening done through history, etc. And, and, and using that word is a good word because it kind of captured everybody's thinking. But I don't want you to think necessarily that it's merely a tower. It's more like a state of mind. When you went up to the watchtower, what did you do? You went up to a tower to do what? Watch. So you were expecting, you want to see is anything coming my way. So for us to get alone to a private place, really what it is, a private place in our mind, not mental gymnastics, but a time where that we can screen out clutter so that we can expect to hear from him. We expect him to visit us. We expect to meet the Lord. 
in how he does it, biblically, correctly, through his word. So it's a watchtower. So it isn't a lone place. We have a lady that's here today that gave me this permission to share this testimony. About a month ago on Wednesday night, we have what we call something more. In a 7 to 7.30 time, we're passing the microphone around to the people that are here, sharing a blessing about how God touched them and worked in their life, answered a prayer, what's been happening. And this lady, who's a new, new person like many of you, but excited about her new relationship with the Lord, requested the microphone. And so we handed it to her. And she said, you know, I'm so excited. I have a job pretty much on the North Shore. She says... I get to work early to fight the traffic. I get over there, and, it's, and before I go, this school right here is right across the street from the beach. So I pull my car into the beach. I open up to the parking place of the beach. I open up my Bible, and I have the most richest, quiet time with God all alone before I start my day facing what I have to face with all that issues and kids and everything. I was saying to myself when I heard that testimony, she's got it. She's got it. So I would like to encourage you. Do you have a watchtower where you can withdraw and get alone? Now, I have to tell you, I just came from this Christian homeschool conference. I've never seen so many busy people in all my life than homeschooling parents with their kids because they've got to stay up on everything. And this is not to lessen all the rest of you that have children. But I thought about how busy they are and how they had to keep things going. When I saw all of that, I thought all the teaching and the kids and then those that have multiple kids... I called Eric and Sue Ellen yesterday and Carol and I were on a speakerphone and he was saying, oh man, we're just getting this thing together with little baby Samuel is starting to calm down right now. And I said, hey, you bitch can't wait till you have another one, huh? Are we out of signal here? You know, he got silent, all right? I'm telling you this to say this now. There was a lady in, the bi- a lady in history by the name of Susanna Wesley. She didn't have one kid, two kids, three kids, four kids, five kids, six kids, seven kids, eight kids. She had 18 of these cakey. And what she did to have her quiet time, she taught her kids this. She'd sit on a little old chair in those days, and she'd whip over her head her apron. And be careful, it wasn't all, you know, she'd properly. And then under her apron, she would have her quiet time. And that was her way to tell her kids, this is my watchtower. You might say, yeah, those kids scattered, and they all run a bunch of criminals, huh? Not really. I know about all of them, but I know two of them. One was named Charles Wesley. He wrote probably the majority of hymns that have been sung in the last 150 years that are in our hymn books. And then you've ever heard of the Methodist? That was started by John Wesley. In fact, I would like to say he's not so much the father of Methodists, but he's the father of the, of the cell group, home church, small group Bible study. And he had a mother that was so busy, but knew how to withdraw and get alone with the Lord. I'm also reminded here about Jesus when he said this, how he would withdraw himself often into the wilderness and he prayed. My only thought about this, he didn't go to the wild place. He went to the wilderness to pray. Some of you know that I get here to, this, to the building here, third floor, about five in the morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning. Some of you say, my, he's so spiritual. I'm not so spiritual. Part of it's because I want to beat the traffic. The other part of it, though, is because it really is quiet here People aren't up. People aren't calling. You're all still asleep or doing your own thing. You've got your own world. You're busy before things start breaking loose about 8 o'clock or so. And staff meets even earlier on, on Tuesday at 6.30 to have a quiet time before God before we start our day. We're not great, but we've learned now a little bit of the value of withdrawing. Let's go to the second. Same passage. We need to wait. There are a lot of people that can find a quiet place, but that doesn't mean they connect to the Lord. You can find a quiet place and get a cup of coffee and read the paper. And you're not connecting to the Lord. So you can wait. So you need to calm your thoughts and your emotions. 
Look what else it says here. He says, I will climb up into my watchtower, my alone place. Now I'll do this and wait to see what the Lord will say to me. Circle the phrase and wait. Okay, and I will wait. Now that's hard to wait, especially those of you who are wired to go, 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 go. And I, I, I struggle with that with, with you folks. I, I, I'm one of those high energy people. Carol will tell me I don't ever really quit vibrating. I'm at 90,000 RPMs. She says when I die, she's going to have my tombstone. It's not going to have some spiritual verse. It's going to say his heart stopped, but the beat went on. You know, <laughs> I, I'm just that way. I struggle with that. And so I'm going to share with you some of the things that I've, I've found that might have worked for me, but I'm, I'm embracing this truth. I have to wait on God. And you know, you can stay, sit there in your quiet time and you say, I've got I to focus, got to focus, got to focus. It seems like the more we try to focus, the louder the screams of our mind, if you know what I'm saying, happen to us. And so we really struggle with that. So what's enemy number one? A busy mind. A busy mind. And so our first voice we really hear is not God's voice. Our first voice is the many voices often telling us, I need to call this person. I forgot to do this. And I got to go share with this over here. What about that? And oh, no, I got to check that email. Did I do this? <gasps> oh, I think Carol's car needs gas. I didn't get gas. Has that ever happened to you? Is there anybody in here like me? Or am I speaking to the microphone? We're all like that. And here's what has worked for me. Instead of fighting that, Instead of thinking I'm such a creep for thinking those things, I'm going to say God wired. I'm going to accept that he made me with a mind that is always clicking like that. But it's still dangerous mind. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.